This is Japanese History for Gaijins, and I'm your host, John. I will also be your guide as we delve into the history of Japan. First, however, what's Japan? I'll wait for your answers. Please send them mail to... Well, what I mean is, what do I mean by Japan? That might sound totally obvious, but am I talking about Japanese people and where they lived? Am I talking about the emperor and what they controlled throughout history? Am I talking about the native Ainu people? And what about the geographic area? What makes a Japan? Well, don't worry, that all sounds quite complicated, but we're going to be super flexible, because it's easier. Broadly speaking, we're going to talk about the country, slash empire, slash power structure, slash people, slash... Mm, that has existed in some sort for the past 2,000-ish years. All of it taking place around the four main islands and many, many tiny islands that make up modern-day Japan. The people whose descendants nowadays would call themselves Japanese. Or Nihonjin, because that's how you say Japanese person in Japanese. We might stray from that definition at some point, but I will let you know. So now, we need to build a Japan. Well, as we know it today. So what do we need? Well, we need those four main islands that I mentioned before. These are known as Kyushu, Shikoku, Honshu, and Hokkaido. Here's a brief outline. Grab a map and you can read along. Now, these islands that make up Japan are very big, but they're also very long. So over their width, they have many different climates. So that's something to really think about as we start. So first, let's start in the south and move up. Our most southern island, and also most westerly, is Kyushu. This is the warmest and closest to the mainland. This tends to be the island that gets the most interaction with foreign and western trade. In the future, because we are back at the beginning of time right now, this is mostly very specific ports like Nagasaki, where most of the western trade to Japan uh, comes through. This is also where the first Japanese, in massive inverted commas, will arrive when they get to Japan. Then we have, to the slightly east, the smallest of the four islands, Shikoku. Its name literally means four prefectures. Shi meaning four, koku meaning an area. And that is what it's made up of. It's extremely mountainous and also not very populated, so it's probably going to be the one we talk about the least. Sorry! Uh, then we have the biggest of the four islands, this is Honshu. This is the part that is, when you think of Japan, Japan. It is to the northeast of Shikoku and Kyushu. Uh, it contains Tokyo, Kyoto, Sendai. Every place you've heard of in Japan, bar maybe a couple, is on Honshu. Honshu is therefore the hardest to summarise because of its size, so we will get to that when we're talking about generalities. Also, these three islands surround a patch of water that is called the Seto Inland Sea. The sea is filled with small islands of its own. In modern-day Japan, there are actually bridges across it, so you can go from Honshu to Kyushu or Shikoku by just car or train. However, how easy it was to move around Japan throughout its history is going to be important, so keep that in mind. Then there is Hokkaido, the last of the four islands. 
that I'm afraid will not get much love in this series. Sorry, Hokkaido. Hokkaido is the most northerly and a lot of it's covered in snow for most of the year. Most of it wasn't really controlled by the Japanese people or country or air, yeah. Instead, it is the home for most of recorded history of the Ainu, a native people different from the Japanese. They are most easily summarized as Japanese equivalents of Native Americans, especially because of their treatment by Japanese rulers and governments, but that is a real horrible generalization. So we will try and do as much as possible to learn about these people as well. But summary, it's bloody cold up there, so not a lot of people want to live there. And not a lot happens there. Well, a lot does happen there, but sources and writing and thing is also written sources, they aren't great at surviving from oppressed minority groups throughout the world, so hmm, yeah, hmm, fun. Now on either side of all these islands is ocean, or water. That's kind of what makes them islands. To the west we have the Sea of Japan, and beyond that the massive landmass of Eurasia. That's where modern day Korea, China and Russia all sit. This sea, though it is technically the closest route to foreign influence, is notoriously difficult to traverse, as it has irregular currents, meaning the water and the wind can be very unpredictable, making storms and rough weather very common. This thus limits a lot of influence and interaction with the mainland, especially when the Japanese don't want it. This is very much comparable to somewhere like the UK, where the water is enough to separate it physically, but not mentally and influentially from the rest of Europe. Then to the east we have the Pacific Ocean. It's absolutely massive. It's hard to explain just how huge it is. Like suffice to say not many people went that way and were able to survive. Unless you're the Polynesians. All this water is also affected by the joys of typhoons, aka hurricanes but by any other name just as sweet and destructive. Oh and earthquakes and therefore tsunamis which also mean volcanoes. Japan is under the tectonic seam known as the Ring of Fire, so if you want natural disasters, Japan is the place to be. Now, you might be saying at this point, wait John, this is a history podcast, I want peoples and politics, not Mr. Smith's geography lesson with no colouring in, therefore slightly more boring. Well, another imaginary straw man. God, these straw men are getting everywhere these days. Well, the geography of this place that we will call Japan is inherently going to affect the people and where and how they live. Essentially, we've got to set the scene. We need the stage before we can put actors on it, or they'll just fall through onto the water pipes below. This scene we are setting is mountains. It's lots of mountains. In modern Japan, 73% of the terrain is classed as mountainous, and each of the islands I was telling you about has a huge mountain range running through it. These mountains also include volcanoes, which make themselves very big as well, such as the famous Mount Fuji or Mount Daisen. These mountains, though big, don't actually contain a lot of natural resources that would be expected like in Europe. They're not rich in coal or iron, and generally, the story of Japan is doing a lot with what little they have. The amount of mountains means that though Japan is very big, it can also get very crowded. 
A lot of the valleys and other places that don't have mountains on them are filled with forest, with humans focusing on areas that they can grow food, and therefore not starve. Now what you need to grow the good stuff, and by good stuff I mean rice, but this is any reliable, like cereal crop, is you need a flood basin. Essentially this is where slow moving rivers flood as they go into the sea, and therefore deposit mineral rich silt. This is the kind of stuff that plants love. Talk to your dad about it or whatever, ooh we gotta get that compost. This is the thing that grows stuff. It's plant food. And this is also the origin of civilization itself, literally rivers. One of the first civilizations is literally known as Mesopotamia in modern day Iraq and Iran. Mesopotamia means between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And therefore the flooding allowed water and food and therefore stuff to grow, not just people, all the stuff that people make. I'm not a geographer, so some of the specifics might be a tad wrong, please forgive me. However, Japan has three of these main areas, and you'd definitely recognise them now. They are known now as the Kanto Plain, the Kinai Plain, and the other I can't really find a name for, but is at the head of Issei Bay. All of these areas are in Honshu, all of these places correspond to places of power. Because if you own the land that can make the most food, you can pay more people than the people with less food. Therefore, you are in charge. It's therefore unsurprising that the Kenai Plain is the large area that contains not only one, but two of Japanese largest and most important cities. These being Osaka and Kyoto, and to a lesser extent Nara as well. This is going to be the setting of a lot of our early episodes. So just remember, special place, lots of rice when you get that you get the power. Then you have the plain in Issei Bay. This is slightly smaller, but this is also where the current city of Nagoya is, and it's essentially between modern-day Kyoto and Tokyo, if you go along the coast. It's slightly less important, but still cool. Now, we have the biggest granddaddy of them all. It's the Easter Honshu. It's Kanto Plain. You might have heard of this if you're a fan of Pokemon. Uh, this is a real place. It's a massive area that is currently covered by the metropolitan area of Tokyo. It's huge, but slightly less centrally located than the Kinai Plain. So its power and importance comes slightly later. Also, when I first start mentioning Tokyo, which is not going to be for a while, it is called Yedo or Edo. It's not called Tokyo for a long time. I will remind you this, but little factoid for you. Now, now, these are big flooding rivers. Now, Japan itself is covered in many much smaller rivers. These make traversal through Japan by foot quite treacherous, as they tend to be fast moving and dangerous, therefore not easy to cross. What is not covered by rivers and mountains is covered by very thick forest. This forest supplies wood, but also covers so much land area, and can become quite a barrier. There's no bullet train back in this time before time that can get you from Kyoto to Tokyo in a couple of hours. Now you might ask, why not just use ships? Well, this doesn't really happen in Japan, but I don't know why. But we can theorise. 
Apparently, there are many complicated reasons, but the main argument, as summarised by Sansom, is that the main places that become focused on seafaring are those who are also focused on trade. Now, this includes ancient Greece and many early Mediterranean civilizations. Their summers could be very inconsistent, leading to possible droughts and famines, which therefore means you need to hop on a boat and try and get some food from elsewhere. Japan, on the other hand, has quite a consistent temperate climate, apart from some noted exceptions. Hokkaido, looking at you. This means that you can essentially grow rice everywhere, as well as have wood for trees and housing without the risk of kind of running out. This means that really you don't need the rice from over there. My rice here is good enough, thank you very much. This, in combination with, like, the bigger, treacherous oceans that separates the Japanese islands from its neighbours, means that shipping and travelling far never really becomes a Japanese focus. It becomes rather limited much more to fishing with only a little travel, and even that focused on very specific pockets of people. But now, our scene's finally set. Japan is here and ready. Except it's missing something. Oh yes, people. Next week, we need to fill it up with the Japanese. Or the people that would be Japanese. Oh, and the Ainu. Oh, and the Chinese. And the Koreans are here as well. Uh, next week, the confusing world of Japanese prehistory. I've been your host, John. Arigato gozaimashita for listening. I hope you subscribe and keep on listening. It's a fun series and I enjoy researching it. And that'll be a matter I shoot. And I'll see you next time. Sayonara.